Well, happy holidays, Emily. Greetings, Greg. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. I've come to realize that the greatest thing about this Christmas for me is the realization that there are two people in my life that are the easiest to shop for. And one of those people is my dad, who is 63. Mm. And one of those people is my daughter, who is eight. (laughs) And the reason is, is that they're just so damn happy to get anything that they, you could just get. So my dad will get a, a, a bottle of booze and he'll get a copy of Mad Magazine and he will be ecstatic. And my daughter will get all of these little blind bags. You familiar with blind bags? Mm-hmm, of course. The little, the little things. Yeah. So that's all you have to get a kid now is like something A, that's pre-wrapped, right? Because it's in a bag. And then B, when she opens it up, it, 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 it is a sub happy meal level toy. And she's thrilled with it because of the element of surprise. This age is great. I know I'm like four years away from being like, get me a, computer or something and but so i will cherish right now the idea that i can get this kid garbage just garbage in a bag as long as the bag is sealed and she doesn't know what the garbage is then that's the best christmas present so the old guy you can get booze and a mad magazine and young (laughs) kid you can just get nonsense gifts is the two best ages of all time i think for the holidays were you the dad that like wrapped an avocado for her (laughs) an avocado no, but I think when she was younger, I might have tried to pull that scam where I just wrapped toys she already had Ooh, a couple times. Classic. Like an old stuffed animal that was in the back of her closet. I'm just sure. like, look, it's a narwhal. <laughs> She's like, this is familiar. I'm like, no, it's not. It's completely new. Please ignore the, the dog teeth bites on it. <laughs> so anyways. From the dog that you see. From, from the dog that, yeah. So anyways, all right. ESPN and Ice, it's the uh, year-end finale mega episode the top 10 stories, so now an annual tradition on this podcast, the top 10 stories of 2018 as ranked by me and Emily. And with that, let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And these are the top 10 stories of the hockey year of 2018. Apologies ahead of time if we didn't mention your favorite story. The way that we did this list is that Emily and I created our own top 10 lists. And then I read hers. I'm like, this is great. Just take out this one thing and then put in this one thing and we'll just use your list. And you know the one thing that Greg did not think was the top 10 story of the year because I'll blow up his spot right now? Go ahead. The great emergency goalie of 2018, Scott Foster, everyone's favorite accountant. I know. I mean, I would rank that number 11. I think that when you hear the top 10 stories of the year, you'll agree that a beer leaguer dominating the Winnipeg Jets is number 11. But I'm willing to take the backlash for not acknowledging what might be the season's best human interest story. So that's fine. And I think a theme for me in all of these, and we'll get to the list in a second, is transcendence and what transcended hockey. What got the people talking at the water cooler? Yeah. It wasn't really number 10, although it was for us hockey nerds. Right. What giant, furry, orange monster... Got on John Oliver. And how high does he rank? (laughs) How high does he rank? (laughs) Spoiler, (laughs) there might be a gritty on this list somewhere. It wouldn't be a grit miss for that one. Oh my God, stop. Where are you right now on the gritty ranking? Okay, gritometer. One is the day that you first saw the gif of him turning around and saw his Google eyes and like, I'm in love with this thing. 10 is like the most annoying um, commercial on television that you just change the channel whenever you see it. I'm Where at are you on the gridometer? Point four, which is still has a capacity to surprise me, but definitely feeling some fatigue. I was at like a six, but now I'm back right. at like a four because of the video recently of him 
attacking all the players dressed like Santa on the ice. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Quite clever. Quite clever. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the top 10 stories of 2018. Good luck to all the contestants. Beginning with you, Emily. So number 10 is an interesting one because there was a lot of ancillary stories that I actually had even mentioned or considered for contention. One being the senator's Ubergate. And yeah, I use gate. I'm still a fan of using gate. I don't care if the mm-hmm. anti-gate truthers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is every time Eugene Melnick opened his mouth or the relocation and potential relocation of the Ottawa franchise. Uh, but the number 10 kind of encapsulates all of this because it almost served as an avatar for all the dysfunction with this team. Mm-hmm. And that was the Eric Carlson saga. Now, this is a two-time Norris Trophy winner, mm-hmm. an excellent generational defenseman. I'm more into using gate than generational player, I've decided and these days. also looks amazing dressed as a pirate. Let's all be honest here. He was the star of All-Star Weekend, of course, because of his friendship with Hedman and, like, bunking in his basement, but also the <laughs> fact that it was Gasparilla Festival and he did look like he was participating, unlike everybody else there who was just drunk in a St. Patrick's Day right. spinoff. Drunk Anyways. people not dressed as pirates. There's drunk people as pirates, and the, the drunk people not dressed as pirates were, of course, the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Sure, sure. But here we have Eric Carlson, and, you know, the fans want him to stay. He loves this city. His wife's from the city, and he doesn't stay. Uh, there is drama with a teammate, um, the cyberbullying scandal, which, of course, could also make its list, I think, in this list in its own iteration. Um, there is drama with whether or not the senators gave him a fair shake, but he's shopped around uh, a really clunky and un, you know, just manner, um, you know, the way they handled everything. And he ends up in San Jose with yeah. Doug Wilson closing the deal as the uh, sharp businessman that he is. And the twist at the end, it's not a really happy ending because so far, and as we record this, he's suspended for two games. It hasn't really been a perfect marriage. So has hasn't been perfect. He's gotten that's the number ten story just because of, in my opinion, all the implications that it has for you know now multiple franchises. He's gotten a lot better as the years gone yeah. on, as he's got more comfortable. Plastic it's kind not. of it's kind of funny to think though, like. You know, at the height of the of the speculation about where he was going to be traded, you had you had Tampa in the mix mm-hmm. at one point, Dallas, uh, and that, uh, Dallas, which they were asking for Miko Heiskanen, uh, uh, and that wasn't going to happen. Now Miro. that we see how good yeah. this kid is, I'm oh, sorry, did I say Miko? I meant Miro. Um, and then okay. um, just make a thin algorithm. Yeah, it's just you know, it's it's kind of a finny name. Uh, and then obviously the San Jose deal comes down, so it's it, it was a wild ride. And, and like you said, all the tabloid stuff on the side with the Mike Hoffman cyberbullying girlfriend wife stuff that also necessitated his trade out of Ottawa too. Um, and then all of this stuff, like you said, sort of being uh, either systemic or symbolic of the senator's general decline. Uh, it was a crazy ride. And it ain't over yet because dude needs a contract. So one assumes he's getting kind of cozy in San Jose. Uh, but who knows at the end of the day if there's always this speculation that because of uh, his wife being from Ottawa and, you know, them loving the city so much that eventually it could lead them to move back east. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, number nine on our list this year is uh, a man. You know, we, we go from a, an infamous story, Emily. To a man, a man of infamy, mm. and that of course Who could is that be? delightful, uh, beautiful-eyed, thunderous fists, media darling, hits, media darling, Tom Wilson of the Washington Capitals, the Stanley Cup champion, but also thug du jour of the National Hockey League these days, the most controversial man in the league by far. Whenever Tom Wilson, because Tom, whenever Tom Wilson's name comes up, you have everybody who hates Tom Wilson mad at you and everybody who likes Tom Wilson mad at you for not liking Tom Wilson enough. It's the strangest thing. But this season, high profile suspensions. Uh, you know, he had the one in the preseason back in 2017, but the ones we're going to talk about, of course, are calendar year 2018. May 2nd, Tom Wilson suspended for three games in the Stanley Cup playoffs due to an illegal check to the head of Zach Aston Reese. Aston Reese was diagnosed with a concussion and a broken jaw. This was after uh, a dicey hit that he had in the first round of the playoffs mm-hmm. um, in the uh, the series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, and then would go on to have dicey hits in the rest of the playoffs too after this. Uh, so that was a big point of controversy, but nothing touched the uh, October 3rd, 2018 hit 
uh, suspension for Wilson, 20 regular season games as a result of an illegal check to the head of Oscar Sundquist of the St. Louis Blues during a preseason game. Of course, we all know how this turned out. Wilson appealed his suspension to Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman, as he does, says, Sorry, buddy. This is why I've got a department of player safety. They're always right. Following Bettman's decision, Wilson filed for third appeal from a neutral arbitrator as mandated by, by the uh, collective bargaining agreement. And then on November 13th, his 20-game suspension was reduced to 14 games, making him eligible to return to play that night. Uh, he had served 16 games of his suspension. He got $378,000 of the $1.26 million he forfeited. Uh, it was another example of the NHL losing these arbitration cases. In this case, because, well, lesson learned, don't just make up a math equation to decide how to suspend your players. <laughs> it's, it's a hard education for George Peros, but there you go. So the year in Tom Wilson, uh, a 20-game suspension reduced, a three-game playoff suspension, and by far the most uh, hated man in hockey and in some corners loved man in hockey uh, if you depending on your affinity plus it gave us hockey's first autograph scandal oh god yeah the Ryan Reeves thing that's right yeah it felt very college football sec recruiting esque yeah Ryan Reeves autographing a photo of him having concussed Tom Wilson with a hit and then uh rightfully pointed out how horrible that is uh, the photo then disappeared. It's going to be one of those things where we're going to be on eBay in 10 years and someone's going to have a copy of this Ryan Reeves photo and it's going to go for like $40,000. Or like 40 cents. Yeah, probably. All right, what's number eight on our list this year? Yeah, I'll keep this one brief. Number eight, uh, it probably should be higher, but the fact that it isn't is just the fact that it's not a tangible thing yet and that's Seattle getting the NHL. Um, and, you know, the reason that... Uh, this is so big is it's a big business story. Um, let's talk about the fact that the NHL is growing exponentially. As many problems as we have with Gary Bettman, we can't deny what a businessman he is and what he's done for this league. Uh, the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights come in at $500 million and we're all saying, holy cow, that's so much money. And then not even two years later, he's now charging a 30% increase for $650 million for Seattle to enter the league. And you know what? A lot of the owners that we talked to at the owners meeting said that's probably too low. It could be higher. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting because this is an untapped market. It's a rich, uh, young, thriving economy that clearly can support a sport like hockey. Uh, it's going to help grow the sport in the area, just as we've seen, um, you know, in Vegas with so many more kids signing up to play in the desert or in Dallas uh, where uh, hockey boomed after, um, you know, the stars came to town and uh, yeah, this is all really exciting. It's going to look cool because Jerry Buckheimer is involved. There's actually mm -hmm. a ton more money than that $650 million because their ownership group is like 32 people, including a bunch of billionaires. <laughs> and uh, it's going to run great. It, it's going to be seamless. Everyone knows it's going to be a hit, even though Greg went to the owner's meeting looking for one shred of oh, doubt and he could not find it. I so that's our best. number eight story. Tried to be a cynic. You know, it's funny. It's like uh, We learned a lot at that owner's meeting, at that uh, board of governors meeting, me and you, like, how incredibly bullish those guys are about the market saying it's going to be top 10 in revenue. Uh, I'm like, Oh, is, uh, wouldn't the MLS team be worried about the Seattle team taking some of their fans? And they're like, actually the MLS team's owner is one of our owners. And it's just like, it's incredible how well set up this team. And it's not obviously with the lie wiki brothers involved, Bonderman's money, Bruckheimer's vision and money. Like they're just so set up for success. So, you know, I, I hope that by, uh, you know, middle of 2019, we'll know whether or not they'll be called the Kraken. Mm -hmm. I'm having my doubts. I'm sure they'll do something dumb like call them the Metropolitans because as a New York Mets fan, don't do it. It's cursed. But we'll see what happens there. But yeah, Seattle getting a team obviously is a huge story, but not as huge it'll be as it'll be when they finally enter the league, I think. So there you go. Uh, number seven is the story of, uh, as, as one team begins, one dynasty crumbles, Emily. Joel Quenville, fired. You're fired. After three Stanley Cups and 452 regular season wins and 797 games, Joel Quenville fired after 15 games this season by the once mighty Chicago Blackhawks. They were 6-6-3 six, six, and three under Quenville. They have now gone 7-14-3. and three with young Jeremy Carlton as the new head coach. The end of an era, uh, probably done because they didn't really want to spend $12 million over the next two years to watch some guy babysit a bad team. 
but also probably allowing then and hoping that Joel Quenville does get another job in this league. I, I really hope they're not, they're not, uh, jerks about it, to be honest with you. I was talking to somebody about this the other day about the idea that like, let's say the St. Louis Blues want to hire Quenville and, and Joel's like, yeah, I totally want to work for St. Louis now. Like, that's a division, that's like not only a division team, that's a division rival. Do you think that like the Blackhawks would be as petty to say, that you're not allowed to coach the Blues, or do you think they'd let him go? You, you would know better than me. Yeah, I, I think they're fine letting him go, and they've clearly thought out all the scenarios. And, you know, as distasteful as it was for many fans, the way they let him go and when they let him go, um, they're going to show him great amount of respect, um, you know, when time does pass. And I think the first sign of it will be allowing him to go play for another team and allowing another team to shed, uh, you know, share some of that $6 million owed. Now you recently recently had a chance to uh, chat with Colton for a bit. What do you what's your takeaway about this guy? Do you think where where, where where's your confidence level on him on the Colotonometer as far as his being the uh, the next uh, the next uh, coach of this Blackhawks team in perpetuity? Yeah, I have a big story coming out with him, and honestly, it, it, you know, it often happens. I'll give full disclosure: you go and you sit down with someone, you walk away, and you're like, "I'm sold. Sign me up. Like, I'm going to go play <laughs> for this guy." That said. Uh, I talked to a ton of people who knew him at all of his stops, and he's a relative unknown, but he's a superstar when it comes to coaching. You have yeah. to just look at this section of what he did in Sweden. There's literally guys telling me they want to build a statue of him in this town of Mora, uh, wow. where he led this team um, to an improbable leveling up by beating their great uh, rivals with more financial resources and, and better players. And um, Anyway, the long story short is he has this uncanny ability to connect with people. Um, I really do find it um, to be very precocious. And I do think he can be hockey Sean McVay. So I am all in on um, the big issue and why they haven't won is that, uh, you know, he's trying to implement change. When you, you try to do that, it, it takes some time. And when you're losing, it's harder to teach. So it's going to be rough the next couple of months. But in the long term, I think he could be the guy. And by the way, get in line on that statue front. I mean, they're already constructing the Elias Patterson one right now mm. even before he wins the call there there's a lot more statues great shots of his uh hometown rank aka that shot of the ice in mars <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite uh twitter bits of the week it was really good right. the ice in mars bit was great um i'm gonna get right. to number six please yes it's a, it's a total shift in gears i told you guys my affinity for using the word gate still i think uh it's a trend that has some life left and mm-hmm. uh bodily function gates of 2018 <laughs> This was an addition I insisted on having to the list. I know you guys all think this is probably a Greg creation, but no, this was me. Yeah. Uh, and part of it is what, you know, what stories get on the top rail of ESPN News? Well, Brad Marchand, who won't stop licking people, gets there. <laughs> uh, Nazem Kadri grabbing a chunk of Joe Thornton's beard, which uh, not only inspired, you know, countless views on YouTube and Vine, if it still would exist, would, you know, have been great for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But inspired an entire story by me where I got to ask NHL players about their uh, grossest things that ever happened with beards and beard grooming habits and so such. So uh, these are the two stories and, uh, you know, other bodily functions that happened in 2018 that riz- rose above the rest and really transcended the sport in a way um, that I truly appreciate. Marchand's had an interesting year. Uh, obviously, he licked Komarov in the first round. And then he licked tasty. Callahan in the second round. Just and that's tasty. when the NHL said, you know what? Enough of this licking people thing. Not the first time. The first time the league's like, I don't know about this licking. We're going to have to call a committee together to figure out if we really want our players licking each other on the ice to intimidate each other. But the second time they're like, all right, we're throwing the book at you next time. The third time you lick somebody, we're going to be super mad and probably fine you $2,500, the, the largest sum we can muster in the collective bargaining agreement. Can I ask you a, a question? Yeah. Deep down inside, what's your theory? Why does he do it? I, he does it to, to be a nudge. He does it to be the little ball of hate. He does it to be a pest. I, I mean, there's no question that's what it is. He does it because there's there's nothing that works better when you're dealing with you know alpha males than doing something like that that gets inside their head and, and being like, what's this guy really about? It's it's a classic wrestling heel move. But the greatest thing about him is that, like, at the end of last season, they lose, right? And he was all contrite. He's like, you know, I know that I need to be a better person, a more professional person. Sure. You know, I want to be like 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 Patrice or like Zdeno and be a better <laughs> leader for this team. And then, like, the next season starts, and he's openly mocking players for feigning injury on the ice and and doing pantomime water bottle skits in the the penalty box. I I am so happy that 
while things probably have changed for him as he's not licked a third person as of yet, uh, but we still haven't finished the year quite yet, uh, he clearly is still the same guy that he's been and, and putting up numbers too. That indeed. You want to introduce the next uh, number? I believe we're at number five. Number five, halfway home. And this is going to be a tough one for my friends on Long Island. I like the transition you uh, clearly put on purpose right there. This is going to be a really tough one. There was a boy once. He was a talented boy. Mm. He would get up every morning to go play hockey. His Phantom Menace, Naboo, Starfighter alarm clock would ring. And he would get up and his mum would take him to the rink. And he'd learn how to skate and learn how to play. And he would do this in a province called Ontario. And oh, he'd wake up every morning wearing the same pair of PJs under the same sheets. Big, beautiful blue maple leaves adorning them both. And he would say to his mum, mum, one day if I had the wherewithal, I'd like to meet with several professional hockey teams at my agent's office and hear how much they'd like to pay me. The Dallas's, the Boston's, the San Jose's, the Tampa Bay's. Perhaps even if I'm playing for the New York Islanders, I'd entertain them as well. But mum, if one team says, Johnny boy, we'd like to have your services. Well, by golly, I'm wearing their PJs and sleeping in their sheets. I'll become a Toronto Maple Leaf. And you know who that boy ended up being, Emily? Um, Liam Neeson. It wound up being John Tavares. Oh, that's where the story was going. Who gotcha. signed a free agent contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs, leaving the New York Islanders high and dry, gutting them. A donut of a team without a star center, or at least one established. Matt Barzell still getting there. And, uh, and that was the bit, one of the biggest, the biggest free agent signing, arguably, in the history of the league. Uh, John Tavares going to the Leafs putting his his stamp of approval on that franchise, saying, I believe in what you're doing. I also believe you can pay me handsomely. And uh, and that team looking like, a, a, now looking like it took several steps forward towards potentially winning their first Cups in 67. Uh, few teams can match the forward depth of Toronto Maple Leafs. Many teams can overmatch their defense core. That's another story. But John, John Tavares leaving the island and Brooklyn for Toronto, his hometown, Johnny T, going to the Leafs, story number five. And if that's story number five, Emily, Lord even knows what the top four can be. Because many people listening to this podcast were like, that has to be the first story. That has to be the top one. There's nothing else that tops a Titanic shift in power like that. But no, four stories did. Well, Greg, I can tell you that we're recording this on Christmas Eve, December 24th. And I use my trusty Google News services and I type this person's name. And there is about 20 articles that were written in him about him in the last week alone. Mm. One of them, his evolution from googly eye husky mascot meme to leftist avatar. <laughs> Another, a complete timeline of the most glorious times this guy captured our hearts. Mm-hmm. Another, an article aggregating the fact that he was featured in the prestigious New York Magazine oh. for the one named him the Internet Person of the Year. There's a oh. formal request for Ole Miss to adapt this guy as one of their own. That's in the Red Cup Rebellion. Yeah. Um, there's a gift guy that you never knew you needed. There's actually a blank parody of this guy involving Love Actually and our ESPN's very own Katie Nolan. Who uh, could this guy be? Well, who is he so popular? I don't know. who. By the way, the Katie Nolan thing was hilarious if you haven't seen it. But yes, who funny. is this person? You know what? I could keep scrolling through these links and there's tons and tons of them. But this guy is gritty. Gritty, the mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers, who masks the fact that there's a little bit of dysfunction on the on-ice product uh, because the off-ice product and marketing was just so damn good. This truly transcended the sport. As you mentioned earlier on the show, he made his late-night television. He was on Good Morning America. Uh, He's incredible. I think it's genius. Kudos to the guy who's clearly gotten a ton of press but uh, thought this guy up. He's disgusting. He's googly. He's gritty. And you know what? He's here to stay for 2019, too. And again, like what a jarring year in Philadelphia sports where the most endearing mascot creation in professional sports emerged from Philadelphia in the same year that not only did the Eagles win the Super Bowl, but the Nick Foles story happens, which is like a folk hero tale of a quarterback winning the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. It's like 
the most heartwarming stuff emerged from the least heartwarming city. <laughs> and I find that to be really jarring. <laughs> they just had to go back to their roots. That's right. Number three, the third biggest hockey story of 2018 has to be an Olympic moment. Ah. Uh. The U.S. women's national team, a team that defied the rules in place on how much they should be compensated. A team that said, no, you're going to treat us as well as the men, especially when the men aren't from the NHL. A team that came together, had battled Canada for years, had come up short against Canada for years, finally, finally thwarted the giant beast from the north the U.S. women's national team in the Olympics in South Korea won their first gold medal in 20 years as Jocelyn Lamoureux Davidson buried the puck in the sixth round of the shootout and goaltender Maddie Rooney made the final save and the women hit the ice and celebrated gold. And for American hockey, it was the greatest moment since 1980. It was awesome. The goal was awesome. The goal was so awesome. I watched yeah. that goal the other day a couple times. Yeah, it's it's one of those deals where, like, <laughs> having covered them in the Olympics a couple times, three times, two times, twice, twice, um, the 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 palpable pain on the faces of people like Hillary Knight when Canada would overcome them in the gold medal game. The catharsis of that moment, and we'll probably use that word later on too on this list as well, but the catharsis in that moment to finally get one over on the, on this, on these Canadians was just beautiful to watch. And, and again, probably not mentioned enough in hockey circles throughout the year, but Maddie Rooney <laughs> to do what she did in that game, um, was nothing short of remarkable, uh, especially with, with who was playing on the other end of the ice. I, I just think. It was such a beautiful story. And, and, and like I said, a beautiful story that, that connects all the way back to the, the real fight that they had with USA hockey to get what they deserved and to get the recognition they deserved. I mean, we're talking about a team that wouldn't even be invited to the jersey unveiling, uh, for USA hockey. And now they're the flagship team of USA hockey. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's so beautiful. And the next thing is quite beautiful too, depending on how you look at it. And it's the Vegas Golden Knights making the Stanley Cup final as our numbers two story of the year. And the reason it's so high. Sweet and- Golden Knights. <laughs> ba, ba, ba. They still play that dumb song. The reason it's so high is that Greg does love the theme song uh, that they do play. And that's why it's there. Number one. Do you want to hear why it's actually that high? What's number two? Well, the number two reason. <laughs> Is that they set a blueprint for two different re- things. One, What's that? it's that an expansion team doesn't have to suck. They were one series away from being the first expansion team in the NHL, MLB, NBA, or NFL to win a championship in its inaugural season since the 1950 Cleveland Browns. They made every other team look dumb because they outdid their research when it came to the expansion draft rules, which, yes, were very pretty favorable, but they found the right guys. They created this golden misfits, and they were great. They were awesome. And you know what? It's sustainable success because I do think this team is going to make the playoffs in year two. But it was also important because they set the blueprint for what it means to have a professional franchise in Las Vegas. All of us wondered, how are you going to have a professional team in a city with so many distractions? And not only that, but so many transplants. There's no true fans here. Well, they proved that there's a community there that really wanted to get behind a team. And when the Raiders inevitably come, they're probably going to steal all the business and marketing plans that the Vegas Golden Knights had. And, Greg, I'll leave you on this. You know our favorite bit that they did slash my favorite bit, and I loved it in the Stanley Cup Finals, where they're like, all the ladies cheer, all the men cheer. (laughs) If you're a local, if you're a transplant, now everyone cheer if you're a Golden Knights fan. And I loved it. I'm sitting there. Yeah, I thought, I thought you were going to talk about when that that knight chopped a jet in half. Oh yeah, <laughs> that too. That became a big hit on Reddit. But this is a big thing for me at the arena. I go to the Blackhawks game the other night. They stole it. They stole it. Yeah, yeah, it was there's awesome. Gonna, there's going to be a lot of stealing from the from the Golden Knights, and on top of that, obviously, also is just 
you mentioned that there are local fans there and what that team meant to the local fans after what happened in October of 2017. Right, I, I glossed that over. Yeah, and and then and then it's also like one of those deals where sometimes tragedies happen and 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 you know the players feel like they have to give it lip service, whatever. But these are these were players that were in the community. They were donating blood. They were going to firehouses, and they were just getting to know this community. But they already felt so connected. Yeah. To it. Yeah, it was it was a real palpable thing. And when these guys talk about how much they wanted to play for the city after that, it was the God's honest truth. And, and you know, one of the reasons why these conditions might not be repeatable for other expansion teams, but for what this ride was. And it's a tough ride, man, like because as we'll talk about in a moment, it came up a couple couple wins short of the ultimate prize. But just making the final and and, and having the world pay attention to this incredible story uh, happening in the NHL um, was such a special moment, and and really, you know, set the bar high for that franchise, and 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 also hopefully puts the pressure on them to keep it high. And I don't think have, you you and I both know Bill Foley, and I don't think he's gonna, you know, ever be somebody who's content with not contending for the cup every single season. Which uh, it'll be fun to watch. But obviously, as we're kind of talking around it, number one on this list has to be the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin. Winning their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Ovi gets his first as a player. Um, just such a long time coming. And, and, and to have him win his first cup in a, in a postseason where he beats the Penguins, which had to happen for them to eventually win the cup, beats the Penguins. And, uh, and then, and then Ovi has the, the playoff of his life, uh, mm-hmm. to help them win the cup. It was just beautiful. But what was your favorite memory from their post post win party? I think it's the fountains. <laughs> him him doing the snow angels in the fountains. Yeah, because it was clearly it's something you would not do if you were in your right state of mind, and you just knew these guys were delirious and just enjoying every moment of it. And it sounds so cheesy, but they've said it so many times, and it's so true. They were sharing it with the public because they knew how much it meant to the fans, mm-hmm. and that was really special to me. I'm gonna. It felt like I, the know. most accessible uh, Stanley Cup celebration, if that makes sense. For sure. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I've put over Ovi's various celebration moments many, many times this year, but I have to admit that TJ Oshie drinking beer through his own shirt <laughs> thing to the fact, to the point where Bud Light then created a shirt that allowed you to flip it over bearing a Capitals logo while you drink a beer through it. That might be, that might be my, my favorite enduring moment from that cup celebration. I got to be honest with you. It was very memorable and inventive. So those are the top ten stories of the year, uh, as far as as as, as we're concerned. Um, others that uh, on my list that that kind of uh, were our, our honorable honorable mentions: uh, the William Nylander contract squabble with the Leafs, mm-hmm. uh, Taylor Hall winning the Hart Trophy after willing the Devils into the playoffs basically on his own. The rise of the Buffalo Sabres, not only getting Rasmus Dahlin, but making the O'Reilly trade and all of a sudden looking like they're going to be a playoff team. Uh, Ron Hextall getting fired by the Flyers, which is a pretty, very big story. The Barry Trotz saga. Yeah. The Capitals, uh, parting ways with their coach after a truly unexpected contract clause kicking in that was going to pay him peanuts. Uh, and then uh, as sort of a side note to that, all of the coaching casualties that we saw this year, I think if you take out the Trotz resignation and the Hitchcock quote air quotes retirement, there were nine uh, coaching changes, nine firings or and parting Bill of ways with coaches this year. Peters contract yeah. uh, mutual parting. Oh, you're going to count you that love too? Bill Peters. All right. You I guess, love I Bill guess, Peters. I, know I guess you we do. can bring it down to eight then for, for that one. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a crazy year. Any, anything besides the Scott Foster thing that made your list? Uh, you mentioned most of them. I think just more of the Senators drama would have just because it did seem to capture the hearts of many Canadians, uh, who love drama, as they would call it, drama. Uh, do they call it drama? I feel like they do. Sure. Like drama in your garage. Yeah, sure. and to also please the Canadians. I think the rise of the Jets was a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially the optics during that Stanley Cup uh, push, uh, you know, when they're there in the Western Conference Final and they've got an entire whiteout. It felt like a college football game day for like blocks and blocks around the arena. That was really neat. Yeah, it was it was incredible and, and we'll say incredible. And, and it's awesome to think that there's like three different places in the NHL where the the location and the fan base uh, is the, as, as big a star as anybody in the team. Nashville, Vegas, and now Winnipeg, I think mm-hmm. are all quite like that. So it's pretty great. As you can tell, this ranking was a bit whimsical uh, in some places, face-looking and all, and we felt kind of weird 
ranking two of the uh, less whimsical stories of the year within our top 10. Uh, obviously, the humbled Broncos bus crash, April 6th, 2018, is a date few of us will ever forget. 16 people were killed and 13 injured when a northbound coach bus, uh, bus struck a westbound semi-tractor trailer truck uh, in Saskatchewan. Uh, a, a hockey tragedy heard round the hockey world and the sports world, really. Anybody who has a kid playing youth sports and puts them on a bus was thinking about this thing. Uh, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League's uh, Humboldt Broncos became, uh, you know, a story of the year. Uh, they were honored at many different events. Uh, that included the NHL awards with a very uh, emotional reunion of some of the injured players uh, who, of course, remembered those that uh, couldn't be there. And uh, $15 million raised in a GoFundMe crowdfunding campaign to help the uh, victims and the families and those affected by it. So just a a, uh, a really incredible moment that uh, made the hockey world uh, seem a heck of a lot smaller uh, and uh, one that nobody will ever forget as far as the visuals of seeing those those guys on stage and seeing those sticks being placed out of outside of people's houses and remembrance of them and Emily obviously wrote an incredible uh couple of articles uh with regard to what happened up in uh Saskatchewan uh around the time of the tragedy the other thing we wanted to mention too was the NHL's concussion lawsuit uh being settled um with uh, uh dozens and dozens and Dozens of former players. The NHL reached a settlement on November 12, 2018. $22,000 to each plaintiff, along with medical fees, uh, up to $75,000. The NHL does not acknowledge any liability for the plaintiff's claims, uh, but the con- concussion lawsuit uh, was settled due to, well, due to the fact that the class action side of things kind of fell apart for those players. So two stories that we felt weird ranking that definitely deserved some mention. Um, all right, let's shift gears now to the usual stuff on this dumb podcast. <laughs> it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Bill Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. So if, if you've read me for a, a while or, or listened to me for a while, you know that Pierre Maguire is not one of my favorite broadcasters mm-hmm. i'll put this caveat out there about nbc's between the benches guy i, I heard, it makes my ears bleed when he's doing a game <laughs> but i think if you put him in the studio instead of like mike milbury he'd be quite good he's quite knowledgeable i enjoy his analysis i think he has a lot to offer i just find it in the flow of the game to have some trivia master wasting my time while the play is going on with his little bon vivants and, and nuggets uh, that I've never liked it. I I tried I tried I have to hold back sometimes Emily from over criticizing him. I've done mm-hmm. it twice this week. We're going to talk about one of them. Uh, Friday, I wrote in my column about the fact that he gave a radio interview saying like all of the teams that have done analytics have failed without <laughs> talking about. You know, the current Stanley Cup champion that hired uh, uh, former analytics blogger Vic Ferrari for their front office, the uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion previous to that that has an analytics guy on staff, the Boston Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Calgary It was Flames. clearly confirmation bias, and he failed to mention the fact that I'm pretty sure every single NHL team uses some form of analytics right now. On top of that, this dum-dum thinks that if teams say we're using analytics, that means A, that's all they're using, right. which is nonsense. It's a straw man argument. And B, it's a situation where these teams are saying this because they all have low payrolls and they know their fans saw Moneyball. So they can go and be like, guess what? We're not paying anybody, but we're going to be good because we're doing Moneyball. That's, it's, it's just advertising. It doesn't mean that every, good teams use analytics too. But that's not even why I'm upset about him this week. I'm upset about him because of this that appeared during the uh, the yeah. Carolina Hurricanes broadcast of their Hartford Whalers uh, day on December 23rd was this recollection of Pierre Maguire of his first year as Whalers head coach, 93-94, only year as Whalers coach. Listen to this from the, from the broadcast from Pierre Maguire. 
Many moons ago, I had a little bit of hair. I was named the head coach of the Hartford Whalers, now your Carolina Hurricanes. One of the most memorable moments in my career as a head coach of the Hartford Whalers, we went on a very long road trip. We started the trip in Quebec City. We won the game 2-1. to one. We took a bus right after the game down to Montreal. We got throttled in Montreal. After the game was over, I got really upset and angry. I went to Chuck Caton, the famous radio broadcaster, and John Forslund and our trainer, Bud Gavay, and I said, we're going to practice tomorrow morning before we fly to Winnipeg. We practiced at 6.30 in the morning. The players, to their credit, responded with a Herculean effort the rest of the road trip. We won in Winnipeg. That's the year Team Mussolini had 76 goals. We went to Calgary, a very good team at the time, coached by Dave King. We lost in overtime. Then we went into Vancouver. We won in Vancouver. We won in Edmonton. The start of the Lillehammer Olympics is what I remember when we were in Edmonton winning that afternoon. And that was the best road trip until recently in the Hartford Whalers slash Carolina Hurricanes history. It was an amazing moment, something I'll always remember, and it kept our playoff hopes alive. Thank you very much, and congratulations, everybody down in Carolina. Enjoy the Whaler Crest. Enjoy the Whaler Crest. Um, I know that was a lot of information because Pierre had his mouth open, so it's always a lot of information. But a quick fact check, as I pointed out on Twitter, and we'll reiterate here. We won in Winnipeg. They tied 2-2. That was the year Timo Solani had 76 goals. He had uh, 25 in 51 games in 93-94. He had 76 goals the previous season in 92-93. So didn't beat Winnipeg, didn't play that Timo Solani. We went to Calgary and lost in overtime. They lost 4-1 in regulation. Then we went into Vancouver. Well, you went to Vancouver before Calgary, so that's completely wrong. And that was the best road trip until recently in franchise history. The Whalers went 3-2-1 and one on that road trip in the 93-94 season. In October 2008, they went 3-1-2 and two on a similar six-game road trip. That was 10 years ago. Until recently. That was 10 years ago. Look... I'm not trying to pick on the guy. I'm just simply saying two things. One, the internet the internet exists. If I'm sitting down to recollect something, I'm going to make sure that my recollection is accurate. Because I don't want to look like an idiot. Because I don't want some little little jackass on Twitter to point out my mistakes. So a modicum of research brings me to point two, Emily. You're a professional broadcaster. Do your research. What's wrong with doing a little research? You are sitting there spouting off trivia left and right and this and that. You're showing us your big brain all the time. Would it kill you to get your facts right? On a taped, a taped segment. Personally, when I watched that broadcast, I took more umbrage to Jack Edwards' character assassination, which lasted nearly two minutes on Dougie Hamilton oh, yeah. uh, wearing Mackenzie's number, but I think we'll get to that later. That's what offended me. I clearly, I hear you. It's ridiculous. Pierre being Pierre. All right, let's rock with that. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Raleigh. Uh, it was <laughs> Hartford Whalers night for Carolina Hurricanes, and there was a bit of controversy as Dougie Hamilton wore number 19, which is his number. The number was retired for John Pye McKenzie who played three seasons with the New England Whalers uh, and then retired instead of returning to the NHL with the WHA merger. The Whalers retired as number 19. This is a significant retirement because he's one of only three players in NHL history uh, to have their number retired by a team uh, have, with the player never, never having played for it while the franchise was in the NHL. And Jack Edwards, like you said, went ballistic about Dougie Hamilton wearing number 19. Did you have a problem with that? Or, or did you, did you think it was all much ado about nothing? You know what? Like, I kind of hear him. Like, a number is retired if you're going to wear that jersey. It, it, it's a little distasteful, right? That said, it felt like if it was any other player wearing it besides Dougie <laughs> Hamilton, it wouldn't yeah. have been a big deal. Right. But as you remember, Dougie Hamilton is everyone's favorite punching bag as he's been traded now twice with two character assassinations. And, for John uh, Jack Edwards to go off that his buddy in the 70s is such a greater man and player than Dougie Hamilton will ever be just felt really, really off. 
I it felt it, the I completely agree with you. The only people that are going to get it harder than Dougie Hamilton on that rant was if the recently retired Alex Burroughs was wearing a Whalers <laughs> nineteen jersey, or if any of the Montreal Canadiens were wearing Whalers Maybe nineteen jerseys. Maybe Tom Wilson could have worn it. And that <laughs> yeah, gotten everyone riled up. He he put a little mustard on it for sure because it was Dougie Hamilton. But uh, you know, I, I I like I said, like you said, I agree with Jack. Like I think that if the numbers retire, just wear ninety one for a night. Like who cares? Yeah, uh, the NHL was, will allow it. Danny Chell will hopefully allow it. And if not, just scratch Dougie Hamilton because he can't wear his number. There. There's the solution, obviously. <laughs> All right. Date, Dateline Foxborough, as was uh, reported in the ESPN NHL Slack this morning, Tom Brady and P.K. Subban exchanged jerseys in the Patriots locker room on Sunday. Uh, Emily, did Tom Brady, based on the video evidence, have any idea who P.K. Subban was? Or, as one of my Twitter followers noted, did he think it was Drake? <laughs> um, uh, kudos to Ben Arledge, who pointed this out. I don't think he has any idea. Um, I think he knows P.K. Subban is a player. But I'm pretty sure I heard in the audio, and tell me if I heard this wrong, he literally asked, are you any good? <laughs> like... I'm going to have to amplify that, but I'm pretty sure that's what Tom Brady has. And look, there's no disrespect to P.K. Subban. I think Tom Brady operates in his own sphere. It's all yeah. about Tom Brady and what yeah. relates to Tom Brady. But, yeah, it was it was an awkward interaction. But P.K., as per usual, was loving it. Get this yeah. for the gram, he said. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you're right. I mean, if it's Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to be like, oh, that's so weird that Aaron Rodgers doesn't know who P.K. Subban is. Because I feel like Aaron Rodgers is a well-read pop culture guy who may may or may not believe that we're being invaded by flying saucers we are. As, as has come out we are. and uh and i feel like i'd be upset if he didn't know who pk is but tom if tom brady isn't spending time with his kids and his wife he's spending time with his crazy voodoo doctor or he's at practice and that's it that's all he does and so he in fact, if he doesn't know who, what he meditates he meditates his kid apparently plays hockey which he is the stretches. only part of me that's like a little bit weird that he wouldn't know who PK is, but I'm kind of with everybody else in this one. I don't think he knew who PK was. Uh, Dateline San Jose, as uh, Emily noted before, Eric Carlson suspended two games for a hit to the head on Los Angeles Kings forward Austin Wagner. Carlson in the hearing claimed he was attempting a full body check that just kind of went wrong. Uh, what say you on this, on this one? Good, good suspension, bad suspension on Eric Carlson. You know, I watched this game and Wagner took a run at Carlson earlier in that shift. So to me, this was predatory. Um, I also feel like when the head is the main point of contact, and it was, uh, the player didn't put himself in a vulnerable position. I didn't mm-hmm. think Wagner was. Um, this was on Carlson. I think two games was a little excessive. It almost felt like the league was just trying to send a message on this, but I think he did deserve a suspension. I felt two games was all right. I mean, there was an injury on the play. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, if you watch the context of the of the sequence, it did seem a bit predatory. I I. I Want to believe Eric Carlson in the sense that he was just trying to lay out a guy with a clean hit, uh, but he didn't. <laughs> and so that's why we have a Department of Player Safety is to show people the right way to lay out a clean, a clean hit in the, in the wrong way. And in this case, he did it the wrong way. Uh, speaking of a defenseman, Dateline Minnesota, General Manager Paul Fenton confirms the team's worst case scenario regarding Matt Dumba uh, when he announced the defenseman will have surgery to repair an upper body injury undisclosed. Uh, no exact timetable for Dumbo's return, but a real bummer of a, of an injury because he had his 12 goals, uh, through first, the first 32 games of the season led all NHL defense and was having arguably his, his best season as a pro, sure. uh, and then gets felled by an injury. It feels like the Minnesota Wild and Anaheim Ducks are in this competition of who is the most injured team. And every time the Ducks come out and they're like, yeah, we got Ricard Raquel, he's sidelined for a while. And the Wild are like, hold my beer. Uh, just as they got Miko Koivu back, uh, this happens. And as we know, they sustained a ton of injuries last year. So it's a bummer. He's a really special player. But I hope, you know, there's pretty vagueness about when he's coming back. I hope he'll be back for the stretch because um, I loved watching it this year. Indeed. Finally, best wishes best wishes to 76-year-old Rick Jenneret, who was taken from a Sabres game on a stretcher this week uh, to the hospital. Uh, reports are saying that he's doing well. And we obviously hope to hear his uh, golden pipes back on the air. It, you know, one of the single singular voices in in the National Hockey League as far as play by play goes. So hopefully he's he's uh, he's doing it's him, well. Jack Edwards and Pierre Maguire. That's right. I would rank them exactly like that. Well, I, obviously everybody has decided to end the season on good cheer by not contributing any you know rants this week. 
But we do have a edition of uh, Satch Got Your Number in which uh, Shastin Shandon gives us a bit of hockey trivia and we have to guess what the heck it is. So let's uh, let's do that then to end the show. This retired center is the only player to appear in the Winter Classic for three different teams. Who is he? Three different teams, Winter Classic. So... I want to say Matt Cullen, but he's not retired. He's not retired, and I don't think he would have played for three different teams. And then we're talking Winter Classic. Mm. So I'm thinking it's a it's a Blackhawk. Is my thought. <laughs> of course it is. Um, I mean, and he's retired. I'm gonna go Michael Hanzus. Is he retired or is he not retired? I'm stump Satch. I don't know if I've got anything. Yeah, he. Oh, he's an unrestricted free agent, so I don't know if he's actually retired. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Oh God, but Hansy's only played with Chicago. This is a tough one. Winter oh, Classic I'm teams like Boston, the Rangers, <laughs> recently retired. All right, I'll go Hansy's. What's the answer? Max Talbot has oh. appeared oh. in Winter Classic as a member of the Penguins, the Flyers, and the Bruins. The Bruins. That's. That's a great. That's a great one, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get a slew of, of of tweets and emails being like, "Michael Hans, who's ain't retired, just he's he's out of a job. Just because you're out of a job doesn't mean you're retired." Well, in all in all honesty, it, it was a long show, and Emily and I were were stumped. So that's all you need to know. Um, that is ESPN on Ice for 2018. When next we talk to you, it'll be 2019 post Winter Classic. Uh, you can read my stuff on ESPN.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. You can do the same for me. I'm on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. And a reminder that you can leave voicemails whenever you want over this nice holiday break by calling us at 860-516-1029. And I cannot wait for 2019 to create new memories for our 2019 end of year list. Oh, that's very sweet. Oh, wait, you're not talking about us. You're just yeah, talking we're not about creating any of the NHL. Nah, right. we'll, we'll just write about them and gabber. Happy holidays to everybody. Have a very safe and restful holiday season. Uh, hope to see some of you at the Winter Classic. I'll be there covering it at uh, Notre Dame. Um, please buy tickets. Help the NHL out. They're hurting. And, They're uh, going to sell it out, Greg. <laughs> I talked to Steve Mayer, and he was very upset about your uh, pessimism that they were yeah, going to sell it out. I know. He, he, I saw him at the Board of Governors, and he was telling me, telling me on the idea. He's like, look, the ticket sales are exactly where we want them to be. I'm like, all right. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm hoping, hey, listen, it's not their fault the Blackhawks suck. You know, it's, it's their fault that the Blackhawks have been in a hundred outdoor games. Nobody cares anymore, but it's not their fault the Blackhawks suck. So. What a lovely note to end the show on. They're going to make a lot of money. Boston fans are just going to buy a bunch of crap with shamrocks on it. You know how it works. All right. That's the show. Thanks to Ryan, our producer for a great year. Uh, we will be back, uh, next week for more fun and merriment. And uh, take care, everybody. If you want to hit us with your own uh, suggestions for the stories of the year that we might have missed, hit us on Twitter. And that's the show. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.